Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. Let's bring our counterpoint. We got Bob Richardson, who's senior counsel over at National Public Relations. Hello, sir. Good evening. And Fury, Anthony Fury, that would be over at Sun Post Media columnist and national comment editor. Hello there, sir. The best way to spend a Friday evening with you two. <laughs> yes. Let's do this. Well, I hope it is. And uh, there's, God, there's been a busy, busy week. Um, let's start with the uh, with the free trade stuff. Uh, Justin Trudeau, uh, you know, a couple of weeks ago, he was saying that he was not going to hold this photo up with the president if tariffs, in fact, remained on our Canadian steel and aluminum. And it's a very thing Doug Ford had come out earlier this week saying in part that GM closed like it was partly because of this. And yet the prime minister was there part of the photo op. Uh, Bob, we'll start with you. Should he have uh, been part of that photo op? Well, number one, congratulations to Justin Trudeau <laughs> for a job well done on NAFTA. Uh, this was an incredibly difficult circumstance dealing with the president of the United States. They got a, a deal. Number two, thank God we didn't listen to uh, the Neville Chamberlain of trade, uh, Andrew Scheer, who wanted to collapse and give everything to the Americans uh, just a few months ago, and uh, at the behest of Stephen Harper and a few others. So let's, let's provide some context around this discussion right off the top. I couldn't care less uh, at the moment whether, uh, you know, whether they sign today uh, um, or, uh, or tomorrow. I, I think he went ahead and signed. I, th- I think it was appropriate to do that. The other two wanted to do it too as well. And I'm, I'm sure we'll continue to work on, uh, on, uh, on the issue of steel, which needs to be resolved. But let's, let's keep our eye on the prize here. And the prize here was NAFTA and getting it done and signed. And he did it. And the other guy didn't. Yeah, I mean, I just talked to a trade lawyer who's completely non nonpartisan, um, Anthony, and I mean, she has been warning about, you know, some of the, the unknowns of this deal and where the, the shortcomings are. And she's been working round the clock, like I think a lot of trade lawyers are, dealing with companies who are trying to sort out the tariff issue. And they are really, really suffering. But then the GM closure comes in, and I think people are starting to say, well, hold on a second. The auto parts was such a big part of the negotiation with NAFTA. You had Jerry Dias at the table running around saying, this is great, this is great. And then, you know, the week that NAFTA is signed or whatever the hell they're calling this deal, GM's gone. And so how could that not have been um, dealt with in this deal? Well, you know, that's the the big challenge there, the big question. We're calling it, a, well, we're no longer calling it a free trade deal. I mean, the name actually does matter. I know it's kind of a hard name to say now. Uh, but it's no longer got the phrase free trade in it for those very reasons. It's a very good line Bob said about the Neville Chamberlain of trade line. And I've got to agree with him because when Andrew Shearer was grandstanding saying we, we would have made a better deal, I think the conservatives would have made a different deal. There would have been different concessions, different victories. But keep in mind, Donald Trump said he wanted to tear the thing up. He wanted to mess us up. Well, he wanted to mess up Mexico, and then we got in the crosshairs, and then he turned his target on us. And I, I, I do think, while I'm not crazy about uh, a lot of the ways that uh, Christy Freeland and, and Justin Trudeau went about things and some personality schisms, I think we got out equally scathed, scathed as we would have under under any other prime minister, Stephen Harper, Andrew Scheer, uh, you know, Tom Mulcair, or, or whatnot. The question about those tariffs, and I've always felt I'm a bit of a Trump whisperer in this regard. Donald Trump, and you can go back to documents Wilbur Ross put forward well over a year ago, they're concerned about whether or not they have to go to war with North Korea. They're concerned about whether or not they're going to have to have more vessels in the Taiwan Strait to deal with China. 
and they want to make sure that they don't have to rely on steel imports from anybody, even allies with Canada, which is why they annexed the national security provision uh, to justify these tariffs. So that is the reality we're in right now. I don't know if we could have done anything to get rid of those tariffs, Alex. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I don't know if we can either, but the point is they're on months and months and months labor later. And I think, Bob, the concern becomes, I don't think people should become normalized to this because it is going to catch up with our businesses and the businesses are, in fact, struggling. Yeah, it, it, it's hurting. There's no question yeah. about it. And and it is. Uh, it should be a priority of government to... Uh, to be trying to get rid of it as, as quickly as they possibly can. I completely agree with you. Uh, but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I think we dodged a bullet here and uh, we ought to be thankful for that. Let's move on and try to fix the other problems that we have. Oh, yeah, there's a few. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, some comments that I thought were uh, a little bit interesting that uh, Mr. True made during uh, a speech, I guess he was giving in Argentina during the G20. And he was talking about the social impacts of uh, what happens when, you know, a male construction worker comes into a rural area like Alberta or into a smaller community to do infrastructure projects like pipeline or highway development. Take a listen. Uh, You might not say, oh, what does a gender lens have to do with building this new highway or this new uh, pipeline or something? Well, uh, there are gender impacts. When you bring construction workers into a rural area, there are social impacts uh, because they're mostly male construction workers. How are you adjusting and adapting to those? That's what the gender lens... There you go. Uh, You know, I'll start with you on this, Anthony. Um, It was a very awkward comment, but certainly not going to win them a lot of love uh, in the trades uh, with the suggestion that men are out there, uh, you know, doing things and creating problems. Not too long ago, I had beers with a friend who was doing some engineering work for a major firm that's uh, based out of Alberta, based out of Calgary. And he went up to a rural community where there's some sort of construction stuff going. And he pointed out the fact that there were a lot of guys who were away from home and the women at the bars are primarily uh, prostitutes and providing services for the men and so forth. So Trudeau's maybe getting at something like that. But that conversation I had with my buddy was a conversation over beers about various different sort of social dynamics. I, I, I don't think it's a public policy conversation, which is why my jaw kind of drops that the prime minister waded into that. I, I, I don't know what the productive component of all of that is. If there's, if there's some sort of wrong that's being done uh, by the guys in the social situation, I, I think he made an absolutely major misstep by going into this. And as you know, has been warned of about the Prime Minister a number of times, it's not good when he goes off script. Yeah, I think it's problematic, Bob, because he has had a couple of moments off script where he says stuff and it's like, oh, that's not going to play well at home. Um, but the comment, I mean, I don't know if it's that he felt he could kind of condense the comment. Like There may have been a bigger point to make, but in doing so, alienated a whole lot of people. Well, I, I, I agree with Anthony in that, what are we getting at here? And what's the <laughs> solution to the problem? And by the way, what's the problem? So, you know, I, I would just like to have a better sense of what this is. I think we need less signaling and more doing. And I think we also need some communication discipline when, when the prime ministers are bought. We seem to have six different messages. Uh, this should have been about signing the NAFTA yeah. deal and him doing bilateral meetings with important people in the G20. By the way, he's been doing a very good job at that post the India uh, uh, circus, mm. and and uh, things are going well. Why do we constantly have to, you know, step on our message here and get off track on some things that, quite frankly, I'm not quite sure what he was getting at. 
Oh, I wasn't either, but but you know, then then because because it went further. Then he said this. And making the very best out of our economy because women entrepreneurs tend to make choices than uh, than uh, than others. We've seen it study after study. So the word is better. I don't know why it drops out at that point, but he said women make better uh, choices. I'm a woman. I, I categorically disagree with that, Bob. I, I, women don't always make better decisions. Well, and, and the other thing is, wh- why do we have to have this gender discussion? Right, exactly. Why don't, we, why don't we just talk about the fact that, you know, I'd rather see them going out there saying, we need more Canadian entrepreneurs, men, women, barnyard animals, going out to sell our, our, our goods and exports abroad. We're, we're, we're not particularly good at that, and we need to be a better, we need to build bigger businesses. There's a bunch of things that we need to do, whether we are men or women. And those are the type of things that I think it's important for a prime minister to focus on, not the issue of gender. It's, it's true, and Anthony, we'll go to a break after this, but the bottom line is, I think it just drives women and men apart. They keep, you keep hammering this and hammering this and hammering this. I mean, feminism and, and, you know, if you're a feminist, we want equality. We don't want to, like, I don't want to have to belittle men now because all of a sudden we're elevated to a level that we're not asking for that. Well, it may drive some men and women apart. I think it drives a lot of men and women together, though, in opposition to the idea, because we did see a couple polls at one point that showed women are more leaning to the conservatives than the liberals. I I think it's back to liberals right now. But this was right when he was doing the gender prism uh, budget. So I think it shows that women are not not particularly interested in being condescended to this way. Like Bob said, let's just be entrepreneurs and be awesome and be the best and grow the economy all together. Yeah, not from the heart out. Hey, no name calling here. Just differing opinions going head to head. With Counterpoint. Here's Alex Pearson on Global News Radio. We are into part two of Counterpoint. We got Anthony Fury and Bob Richardson weighing things off. Let's pick up a story that just kind of seems to, uh, well, it's putting the YNR to shame, I gotta be honest. Uh, we learned that uh, Liberal MP Raj Graywall not only you know racked up millions in gambling debt, um, but he was under investigation by the RCMP for some time. And during a time that he was even under wiretap, it's alleged that you know while sitting on the finance committee, he was asking about you know the very thing he now is being investigated for, which is money laundering. And I think the allegations are quite troubling because there's connections to terror being raised. And um, I'll start with you on this one, Anthony, because the opposition, they got blood in the water on this one. They want to know, you know, who knew what, when, and, you know, how is it possible that the prime minister's office did not know about this before last week? I want to know all those things as well. I want all those questions answered. And I think Canadians wrote those answers. And I do wonder if we have a system where I imagine the prime minister's office learned before the public did, Mm -hmm. but the prime minister's office certainly did not learn before the RCMP did. And do we have protocols at place where we're actually informing the prime minister's office so that they can make the appropriate decisions and choices well in advance of this causing any sort of collateral damage? Because the big problem here, if he has a personal criminal issue that he's going to be dealing with and he's not charged with anything right now, but, you know, if that happens... That's his issue. My concern is that this person is now tainted and can be influenced. And that is the problem with with the Tony Clement story, how he was on the National Security Committee as well. I mean, we got Raj Graywell on the Finance Committee. This is a major problem. It puts all of the trust in, in that committee and the decisions they make at risk here. So we need to know the answers for it. And we also need to understand and know and talk about whether or not uh, the RCMP is 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 providing this information to other people who right. should maybe know it. 
Yeah, Bob, I, I mean, the story's not going to go away. And on Monday, we are going to get a report into that whole India uh, boondoggle. And, of course, Mr. Graywell was on that trip. And so these stories are kind of culminating at the same time. But it does become problematic. You know, did the RCMP have an obligation to tell the prime minister's office that one of the ministers standing on a finance committee was under investigation? Where does this story go uh, in your mind? Well, I think it's a big story, and I think it's very much a legitimate story. And I, I agree with Anthony. The key questions are who knew, what did they know, and when when did they know it? Um, it is troublesome that if there is uh, activity and behavior like this going on and the RCMP know about it, that nobody in the senior echelons of our government um, are you know, is given a heads up. If because he was true. greenlit to run. And so if the yeah. if the prime minister knew about this, they, they would have said, well, hold on a second, we can't greenlight this guy. So they, they were kept well, in the dark. Yeah. And, you know, from my discussions with various people, I would be very surprised uh, if, uh, if, you know, they knew about this in advance because people did not appear to know anything about this uh, in advance. So I think the question here is, who knew what, when, where, why? And then the second thing is, what protocols do we have in place to deal with this? I agree with Anthony. Um, you know, if this sort of conduct is going on, and in both of the circumstances, it appeared to have been going on for for a period of time in the in in the case of Mr. Clement and and, and the case of yeah. uh, Mr. Gruwal here. And if that is the case, then. Um, do we need to put in place some sort of mechanism where where this is brought to the attention of authorities? Well, well, I mean, let me kind of throw this at you then. I mean, it's a very big problem given that Mr. Graywall was on that India trip. And if the RCMP were starting to look into allegations and, and situations that were raising a red flag and he went on that India trip, then you've got a bunch of problems with the security and the prime minister's office. And it becomes a pretty massive story. Well, yeah, you know, it just uh, provides color to uh, to the story. I think that, honestly, I think the India piece, it sounds like, is a bit of a sideline or a bit of a red herring here. But but, but my, my suggestion would be if you Mr. Know. Grewal was under investigation at that point and still allowed to go on the India trip with a construction yeah. colleague, that to me speaks volumes about security issues. Yeah. But Alex, no, I, I think the question becomes, you know, to what degree is the RCMP saying, well, we don't want to... Uh, ruin our investigation. We don't want to compromise right. it by letting people yeah. in on it. Right. And then the prime minister's office is allowed to continue to put him into positions right. where he is actually compromising security and finance and so forth. That, that's the challenge. I get that a lot of times police are doing things that, you know, n- not the employer shouldn't be party to, but the government is not just some random employer yeah. when you're talking about foreign affairs visits. Last point to you, Bob. Um, I just find the whole thing very sad. Yeah. Uh, you know, I thought the guy looked like, you know, uh, you know, an important uh, leader in his community. I, I liked the way he was comporting himself as an MP, new generation, all these things. I just think the whole thing is sad. Uh, but we need to get to the bottom of this. and We need to put things in place to uh, restore public trust. The departure of uh, MPP Amanda Simard uh, from the Ford PCs, uh, you know, she's now sitting as an independent. It's on the front page of uh, Le Journal de Montreal today with the headline, A Francophone, The Way We Like Them. And and some are suggesting, woo, this uh, proves that the national implications um, on, on French heritage and French language that Premier Ford has sparked. Uh, Anthony, is that how you see this? Absolutely not. In fact, when you're being praised on the cover of Journal de Montreal, but... <laughs> not other papers in Ontario, 
it suggests what is actually going on here. There are certain pockets of eastern Ontario that are very francophone, which is a, a, a bit rare for Ontario. Now, what uh, Simard was doing was being a good representative of her constituents. And yep. maybe she was surprised by the outcry that she had heard from a lot of constituents on these issues, which, quite frankly, I don't think a single cent of my taxpayer dollars should be going to creating this francophone university. And as for the ombudsman position, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm kind of on the fence. It's six of one, half a dozen of the other. I think she's made an odd miscalculation. I wonder who is advising her, because I understand she's also a long-term conservative staffer before becoming a PCMPP. I don't well, know she, she is a, a Patrick Brown-like loyalist. So she comes from that camp. Um, you know, from what I've known of her or from when I worked for the party, look, she, she very much marches to her own beat. You know, she well, didn't campaign with the team. She didn't door knock with the team. So she does her own thing. But, you know, Bob, I'm not sure, you know, doing what she did is the best move for her long term. Um, but again, there's nothing wrong with representing your constituents and pushing back against a party. That's not my issue with her. But uh, where are you on this, Bob? Well, let's let's remember, uh, how did this all come about? This came about because we have ready, shoot, aim government, yep. where these guys just went out and they made a big mess <laughs> in an area that they didn't have to. So that's point number one. Hopefully they've learned from that and they will think these things through before they uh, before they do things again. I frankly agree on the Francophone University. It came up, you know, in the uh, in the last year of the Liberal government. Um, I don't think... Um, you know, um, we we necessarily have to die on that, uh, uh, you know, a, a die on that hill. Um, and I'm not sure that it did make sense in the fiscal context. That the other things I think were changes that the government made that were inappropriate. But uh, in in terms of her, she is defending her constituents, which I think is good. I mean, in in a place like Russell, in her constituency, seventy percent of the people are francophone. Mm. So I, I think she's probably making the calculation that if she ever wants to be reelected or continue in public life, or or frankly live in the community, she needs to be uh, standing up strongly here. I think that's what she's doing. But I think there's a lot of blame to go around on all sides on this one. Perhaps she didn't handle everything perfectly, but the reason this mess happened yeah. is because. Because of uh, of the folks not thinking this went through right off the top. Yeah, uh, but Anthony, the good news is the prime minister could, in fact, give the funding for that university if it's so important. Well, well there you go. But <laughs> I'm just I, saying. I don't, know if the, <laughs> don't know if that's what he wants. I think he wants to score some points. Well, yeah, it's a wedge against issue. The premier who has very much been a thorn in his side. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess Ford handed him this one, but again, it's uh, it's not the crisis that we're calling it. But we'll stay tuned to it anyway. Guys, thank you very much for sharing your uh, Friday with me. Appreciate it always. Thank Have you. That is Bob Richardson and Anthony Fury sharing their time with me. You're listening to On Point with Alex Pearson on Global News Radio.